This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, so let's look at this tonight. We want to get into 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want to pick up. We left off with portions of verse number 3 last Wednesday night. And I want to get back into it because uh, there are some words that I feel that needs to be explained or defined for you. And it's always important when you read the Word of God to, to know what, what we're talking about. What is I, I cannot tell you how many times in my study in my early days that I read a passage of Scripture, and to be honest with you, I had no idea what it meant. None. And I'll be honest with you, there are scriptures today that I have to spend diligent time and study. People ask me questions over the Bible. My, my best answer to them is let me get back with you. Because I want to take time to research, if it's, especially if it's a subject that I'm not uh, fluent with. This passage of scripture right here has some words in it, and there are some that go without the need of explanation. But there's a couple in here that probably, when you read it, you say, what in the world does that mean? We want to talk about it tonight uh, as we continue our study in verse number three. All right, so let's look at this. For the time past of our life, we spent a lot of time last Wednesday night talking about all of us have a past. And if we could all go back and change something, we would. I'm not going to read uh, do that study, but that was uh, in the beginning of the passage. Of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Okay, so let me say this in the conclusion of that first part, that none of us, since we have been saved, should have a desire to go back to the pleasures of the world, even though the Scriptures teach us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. None of us should be motivated in our flesh to have the dominance of the world motivating our life. And we should not have the desire to return to something that God has called us out of and separate us from. In fact, there's a couple of scriptures here that I want to give you in reference to that. And one is in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6. And the Bible says this, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So when you look at this passage for the time past of our life, there was a time in our life that maybe perhaps we were under the dominating spirit of sin, where that was our motivation, where we had no, no room in our mind or heart or desire or will to serve the Lord, to seek the Lord, where he really didn't mean anything to us. Thank God for the faithful one that came your way, that took the time to show you the word, who shared Christ with you. Just, I think it was on Sunday afternoon maybe, or Monday evening, I was taking my mother somewhere, and we were talking about some of the faithful people in our life early on that 
taught us the Word of God, and we were going through the city of Hopewell. And my mother said, this is the area where a certain uh, lady lived 50, 60 years ago that we knew, who was one of my Sunday school teachers. And I will never forget her. Back in those days, we would take the little cutouts. They used a lot of what was called flannel graph. Some people don't even know what flannel graph is, but I grew up on flannel graph. I'm thankful for videos today. But before the flannel graph days, there were little paper cutouts, and I can remember like it was yesterday that there was a poster on the wall of the Sunday school room, and there was a fishing boat, and uh, there was three cutout figures in the fishing boat representing Peter, James, and John. And the idea was that every Sunday you came to Sunday school, you they take a little cutout fish and they put it beside your name. And uh, if you got so many cutout fish, then you got a new Bible at the end of the thing. And one of the ladies who taught me in those very early days her name was Lacey Wright. I'll never forget her. And I can remember sitting in a little circle as a child and listening to these great stories that we know so well today. But there were people in my life like that that I can call their name, and literally that was probably 59 years ago. And I remember it as if it was happening today. There was somebody in your life that had to take the time to lead you to a church, to lead you to the scriptures, to lead you to the truth, and you'll never forget those people. You are thankful for them. And from those early foundations in your life, we like to think that we have grown in grace. Now, I realize that some people are still stuck on the milk. We all need the milk of the word, but there comes a point in time in our life when God wants us to move past the milk and to get into the meat. And it's sad to say that there are some people who have been saved for 59 years who are still in the milk, not growing. That's sad. I would hate to think that we would go to heaven and meet the Savior stuck on milk. But the truth of the matter is this. There was a time in our life where the scriptures really didn't mean anything to us. The lessons didn't mean anything. The principles, the concepts, the applications. But people took time to invest in you, and they invested in me, and they did so, so well. And the scripture here in Romans, and let's get that back on the screen if we can do that. I want you to notice the latter part of it. It says, henceforth, we should not serve sin. That's a truth that somebody had to teach us. But after we have been enlightened with the truth, it's the Holy Spirit that brings the conviction to our hearts that helps us to live within the boundaries of the premise of something like this. Not perfect, we're not perfect, but sin no longer as a believer ought to be the motivating, the dominating factor in our life. Now, if you look in verse number three as well, you see the word lasciviousness. And if you're 
wanting to make footnotes in your Bible as to what some of these words are talking about. You can write somewhere in your scriptures here that this is talking about indecent behavior. It's talking about a filthy lifestyle or the lack of restraint. And so that's what this particular word means. And Peter sees the occasion as the Holy Spirit obviously is the one motivating the inspiration to write. And it's sort of like this. There's a scripture we'll get to when we get into Second Peter, but I want to give you this tonight. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7, uh, this scripture goes along with this kind of behavior. And so if I give you this scripture, you can say, okay, I can better understand it now. The scripture says, and delivered just lot. Now look at this word, vexed. With the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now you think about that. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. This is in the realm of lasciviousness. And Peter's giving us great warning to that. And we can hardly believe that Lot allowed his family to become groped with those kind of things. I mean, you think about it. When he, in the beginning, he did not really intend to live in Sodom and Gomorrah because the Scripture says this. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. And this is where we get into trouble as believers. We, we may not have a motivating factor within us, a drive to serve the pleasures of our flesh on a daily basis, but I tell you this, if you pitch your tent toward the world, it's not going to be too long before you're living in the world. Just like Lot, he pitched his tent toward Sodom, and sooner or later, there he was living in Sodom. And not only that, he became as one of them. What was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah did not break his heart. He wasn't weeping at night. He had lost his sense of conviction. He was looking at the well-watered plains. He was looking at the grassy knolls that he said, I'm going to feed my cattle on. This place is blooming, and it's a wonderful town, and merchants are everywhere. He was starting to rationalize with all of that, and before he knew it, he was vexed with lasciviousness. And so then let's move on to the next word here, the word lust. Uh, that doesn't need really any explanation. But I will tell you this, it does not only pertain to sexual desires. Peter is talking about in the context, the full context of the scripture, he's talking about evil desires, period. And again, that revolves around a motivation to sin. Now, then he says this, excess of wine, that's talking about drunkenness. And there are two dominating words in this one verse that has to deal with that. Um, We'll get to another one here in just a minute. Okay, so probably everybody understands what the excess of wine is. It's talking about drunkenness. And then revelings. 
that's talking about disorderly conduct. It's talking about creating disturbances and ruckus. It revolves around abandoning self-restraints. Just a riotous type of an individual. And my, we can certainly see that unleashed in the society that we live in today. And Peter warns us, he says, don't get caught up in those things. And then you come across a word like this, banquetings. Okay, this is not talking about a buffet. It has nothing to do with that. But when you read a passage of Scripture and you come across a word like this, most of the time we are tempted to read it and press on. We're tempted to look at that and say, I have no idea what it's talking about. Let me find out something that I do know what they're talking about. And that's where we fall short in our Bible study. We, we're too quick to press on. When you take time to look at these words, I don't know how many of you have ever taken the time to look at this word and what it, what it means. But it basically is in the same neighborhood of the excess of wine. This is talking about heavily drinking repetitiously drinking, making that the norm of the day. There's a passage of Scripture because a person can make alcohol their God or drugs their God or something like that. But if we're, if we're not careful, it could all also become an idol in our life. And there's a Scripture that I associate this word with, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse number 14, they can get that on the screen for you pretty quick. And it says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And this is in the neighborhood of what uh, Peter is talking about. He's talking about abominable idolatries. And this one is unique because when you study this word more carefully, this is talking about, and we have to say this in a different way or two here in just a minute, but this is talking about unlawful idolatries. Now, what I want to say about this in the teaching class is this, that this was, Peter was referring to something that pertained to the depth of vileness. In other words, how deep or how low people could actually go to not retain God in their knowledge. So when you read that and you study that, think about how bad it must have been in Peter's day if the wicked secular government was forbidding practices to certain unlawful idols. And by the way, many of the Gentiles were doing that before they met Christ. So Peter was tangled up in a web of stuff here. Not that he was a participant, but he was writing to help us to restrain ourselves from being involved in that. And Peter was stressing that no believer, when you read a verse like this, no believer ought to be tangled up in these things and have their life motivated by those things. Then look at with me at verse number four, if you will. Again, 
this scripture is holding hands with verse 3. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. And these, these words are in reference to believers that are called upon to stand against pagan idol worship. That's what this is about. So here's the application, and I hope you can connect the dots to this, because when Peter was writing this, things were so bad, just like they were in Noah's day, just like they were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And those were the epitome of how deep and low and vile society could become. So at this point, when Peter is writing, people were so perverted in their lifestyles as verse number three talks about. And it was so, so widely going on, so to speak. It was, it was not only so widely was it everywhere, but it was so accepted. That kind of lifestyle was so accepted. And here's the thing. People were taken back by the fact that some, and usually it's a remnant. God always has a remnant, by the way. God has never left this earth without the word. And, but society was taken back because there were some people, not by large, but there were some people who opposed this kind of lifestyle these kind of things. And the, the people of the world could not believe that there were people who were calling themselves Christians who were drawing the line in the sand and saying, this is not of God. This is not acceptable. This is not something we should be doing. We don't condone this. And the world society was looking at this handful of people and saying, what's your problem? It's okay. As long as you don't hurt anybody, it's okay. You make your own decisions. You do this, you do that. But as long as you don't hurt anybody, it's okay. And they were, they just couldn't get it that there were some people drawing the lines of conviction in their life and they were taken back. It's when I read this and I study it, it, it sounds just like the society we're living in today. And as we will see on Sunday, especially in this ruling of the Supreme Court, and not only the decision about abortion, but I will tell you, I've heard these commentators come on one after another, and some of them are saying that, what is the problem with these pro-life people? Everybody in the world feels this way and that way. Well, the truth of the matter is, not everybody in the world feels those things. Thank God there have been the prayers of the saints that I truly believe has impacted this nation and has given us the high favor hand of God. But in this particular day when this scripture was written, society was saying as a whole, we cannot believe that you're making a big thing about this, Peter. This is not really all that bad. And so the world was so wicked not only in Noah's day and Lot's day, but also in Peter's day, that it seemed to have no conscience. And it reminds me of so much of what is going on now. 
And they just couldn't accept the fact and believe the fact that not everyone felt the way that they did. But Peter encourages the believer to draw the line in the sand with great conviction and to take a stand. Now, the word for riot here in this passage of Scripture is talking about being wasteful. It's talking about being a type of prodigal. You know the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to go into that. But that's what this word riot, riotous living, this is what this word is talking about. And these believers thought that it was very strange, or let me say the unbelievers, the unbelievers thought that it was very strange that Christians were no longer going to be a part of their program, were no longer going to be engaged in their parties and so forth. And they, their resentment to Christianity prompted them to speak evil of the born-again people, believers. And as a result of that opposition, they began to spread lies about those who had given their hearts to Christ. So that's what this word is talking about, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them, because once they had given their heart to Christ, it was with great conviction they drew the line in the sand, and they refrained from these things, verse 3 is talking about, to the same excess of riot, wastefulness, riotous living, living like the prodigal, and speaking evil of you. All right, Peter says this. Now, if they do that, it's not going to be without a price. There's a high premium to that because the Scripture says in verse number 5, who he gives us now the declaration of the consequence. He said, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? So the word who, look at this in this passage here, does not refer to us. Although we as believers, we will in fact have to give an account of our life to the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll have to answer for the good and the bad. In fact, Romans 14.10 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Talking about believers. That's not talking about the the universal number of population, because there's a big difference in the judgment of the believed and those who are the unbelievers. And so the born-again children of God will be judged at the judgment seat. And there's another scripture here while I'm at it. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All is in reference to all believers, all who have believed, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so this refers, this scripture here, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. This refers to unsaved people who will stand at the great white throne judgment. There's a big difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne. I cannot believe that we're two minutes over already. It seems like I just opened my Bible. But I do want to close with this one scripture since the time is completely gone. In Revelation, notice with me, and we'll close with this passage. In Revelation 20, is that clock right, by the way? I cannot believe that it's time already to stop. All right, Revelation 20 
I want you to look with me beginning in verse number 11. I'm going to read through verse number 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So be clear on the judgments. Every person that's born again will be judged at the judgment seat and not for sin. Sin was judged on the cross. We will be judged as servants. And I want you to understand something. That will be a very, very solemn moment. And then those later, after the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, after the 1,000-year reign, the final battle is over with, there's going to be the great white throne judgment. Entirely different for two classes of people. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.